Well, praise God. How are you doing on this Chick-fil-A day? Hey, hey. Hey, here they're getting lots of business. Lots of people going on out. I don't think the news people are covering it at all. Just Fox. Just Fox. Yeah. Did ABC do it? Local or local or national? Uh, probably just local. Yeah. National probably won't. Unless there's something they can uh, fudge in the video. Because they like to do that sort of thing. ABC does anyway. <laughs> That'll be Friday. Hey, we stopped on by over at the one in the mall and the um, boy, they had a long line. And uh, my wife got there, and then she waited in line while I was doing some other things. So she got to talk to the manager, and she said the manager saw all these people lined up when they came in to open, and she said she was just in tears. <laughs> I thought that was real neat for all the all the support. So I hear the one that's down over here was even busier than the the one that was up up by us. But I don't think I don't the whole time we were there they didn't stop they just kept going. Line from being from long to really really long. We're going to be over in Judges chapter 15. Judges in the 15th chapter. Last time we looked at how Samson was out there and he made that riddle, had that bet. And they, of course, coerced the new wife into getting the information. And he was upset at that, so he went out there and he killed some people and got the 30 pieces that he needed, 30 changes of clothes and the stuff like that. And so all that was uh, taken care of for him. But uh, the anointing of God came on him anyway, even though he was not doing the most spiritual of things. But he stopped at 30. He stopped at exactly what he needed. Too often people stop at exactly what they need and they don't go after getting the purpose that God has. God's purpose is to do more than just get what you need. He, wants, he doesn't want to just stop at your healing. He doesn't want to just stop at you getting emotionally healed or, or freed from whatever depression or mental anxiety or thing was there. He wants to go beyond that and let the power of God work through you to help other people. But a lot of times we find ourselves in the same place Samson was and we stop at 30. Well, it says, after a while, in the time of wheat harvest, and we don't know what a while was, but after some time it passed, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. I'm not sure if you women would think that's a... Good gift today, you know, maybe today you go with flowers and jewelry and stuff like that. I guess back then it was a goat. <laughs> my, how things have changed. And he said, let me go into my wife, into her room, but her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her, therefore I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. Now this is great for a dad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they had more than two sisters, but they at least had two. Oh, the younger sister's better than she is anyway. So she's prettier, nicer, friendlier. Yeah, that's an upgrade for you. I mean, if you're the other sister and you're listening, or what do you think about all that? Here's dad calling you. Uh, she's second rate anyway. Why don't you take the, the other one? And just the, I don't know, the way they just give them away like this, it's, I uh, just take the younger sister. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Well, I guess he, maybe he's thinking he was a, to be blamed before, huh? Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes. Now, I don't know about you, but that's got to be a pretty tough thing. How do you catch 300 foxes? Yeah, one's pretty hard, but he caught 300 of them. 300 foxes. Where do you put them? <laughs> when you catch them, where do you put them? And then if you put them all, if you, maybe if you have to find a hole in the ground and you put them all in the hole in the ground, then you've got to go down into a pit of 300 foxes. I don't think that's so good. How do you do this? We're not told any of it. But I guess the anointing came on them and he overpowered the 300 foxes. And, I mean, they're not wolves, but they are foxes. They do have teeth and a whole bunch of them. There's 300 of them there that... Uh, I mean, even 300 cats could do some damage. So he went and caught 300 foxes and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. When he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. So this is his idea of getting back at them. He put a torch between the foxes' tails and of course, you know, 
fire and animals. They don't like that a whole lot, so they took off. Now you got two of them tied together. That's not going real well, I'm sure. <laughs> They're not used to being tied together with one another. And they got this fire behind them. And so they just, uh, they're going in all kinds of directions and just trying to get away from the fire. And of course, the further they run out, the more they set on fire. And I'm sure we were 300 less foxes at the end of the story than we started with. I'm sure that they didn't make out of there too well, despite all their, their running and stuff. I mean, their tails are tied together. If they survive the fire, they might be fighting each other until they can either kill each other. Who knows what it is? But this is not a real good thing. Not a real nice thing. If there were animal rights groups around, they surely would have been <laughs> saying something about this one. And he would have been the poster child for the animal rights group. They would have had his picture up there. Michael Vick, move over. We got a new guy to put on the wall here. <laughs> so Samson, he would be up there and they would be trying to take care, take him out. But what's he getting revenge for? Well, he left the wife. And then maybe he had a change of heart. I don't know what it was. I mean, originally, you know, he really liked her. So maybe after a while, you know, instead of a while had gone by and he thought, well, you know what? I'll go on back and check her out. And uh, he wasn't allowed to. So he didn't like this too much. This is revenge for spite. You ever have something come on you? Somebody did something against you? And, oh, that thing kind of comes up on the inside. You want to get revenge. And, uh, of course, he does it really good here. He doesn't just do it a little bit. He, uh, I mean, he just, they thought he was done with the wife, and so they gave her, gave her to someone else, and he came on back, and he, he put 300 foxes, that's 150 torches, out, and they burned up a whole lot of stuff. Now, when I was going to college, we learned something about revenge. We learned that when you take revenge... It must be tenfold over what they did. Needed to be. I mean, that just we just learned that's what had to had to be happen. If they came after you with the you know with a uh, with a water pistol, you came after them with a trash can full of water. And if that didn't, if they came after you again, then you know you take it and you just increase. And so we would have things increase such. And I think I told you the story before. I went into college as a pretty quiet guy, and by the time Christmas vacation, my first semester was over, my roommates vacated the room out of fear. Because <laughs> they didn't know what was coming. The last thing they hit us with was they uh, came on out to the room. They, we had these three panel doors and they punched the middle panel out of the door. And they threw in an M80 powder bomb. Well, fortunately, the M80 powder bomb went underneath my roommate's bed and it exploded <laughs> underneath the roommate's bed so it didn't really go anywhere. All the powder stayed underneath the bed, but we had an M80, which is a quarter stick of dynamite, explode in the room. It's okay. We got them back. We aren't saying exactly what we did, <laughs> but we did get them back. <laughs> and so we learned these, these kind of things. But, you know, we were going all the way up into this. And uh, when you take revenge, you don't, you don't necessarily need to tell everybody about it. And we didn't tell anybody about it. We just did the things that needed to be done. And uh, no one suspected that I had a thing to do with it because, you know, I just sat there innocently and I was a quiet guy. No one thought a word. When I finally got around that I was one of the guys behind some of these things were going, that's when my roommates vacated the room and said, we're going to sleep somewhere else. And because in a few days they were going to be off on Christmas vacation, they knew they, knew they were coming. People were ganging up. People were... <laughs> it, was a, it was a fun first semester. But I think we won in the end. That was... a. That's our story anyway. The M80 was a good idea. I mean, that was a, I didn't have an M80. We had to do something else. But you know, that's what re revenge is sometimes. You just get a, out of spite. Well, you got me. I'll get you. There's no other reason for it. We're not getting revenge because, you know, there's no principle involved. There's no wrong that was done to anyone. It's just that you got me, so I'm going to get you. And I don't, to this day, I still don't know what started all this stuff that ended up with all the other... I have no idea what it was, but it just kept escalating. You know, you hit it one spot. You don't ever come back with exactly what they came at you with. You've got to increase it. So this is what Samson does. He increases it. And uh, he, he just gave his wife to someone else because he thought he was finished with that chapter in his life. And he came back and he got really upset and did this. Now, the timing around here, it's around the latter part of April and the beginning of May. It was a dry season. The harvest would be the most susceptible to fire. 
And certainly they did burn up pretty good. Now, I don't know if Samson knew this or not, but Samson was actually being scriptural. Can you believe that? Samson was actually being scriptural. I think he was just mad and didn't want to do what the father said. But in Luke 8 or Leviticus 18.18, it says, Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. In other words, you don't take a sister as a wife unless the sister died. And the sister didn't die. So he was scriptural, actually, in not doing this. Of course, he shouldn't have been marrying Philistine woman to begin with. (laughs) We can't forget that point. But I don't think that's why Samson was mad. And I don't think that's why Samson turned down the younger sister. I think he just said, this is an opportunity to get back at them, and they can't blame me for it. Well, this whole thing demonstrates Samson's lack of concern for animals and people and his selfishness. He just has no concern for, for any of those things. Because, you know, there's, it's not our role to go out there and harm a whole bunch of animals. That's not our thing. We're not out there to... You know, we're, we shouldn't be taking these extremes. We've got people over in um, California who can't water their orchards that are hundreds of years old because the environmentalists decided that um, there's a little tiny smelt type of a fish that might be harmed if they water them. My sister lived out there in Merced, so she knew all the stories. She would tell me about it. I looked it up, sure enough. Little tiny fish. They don't even know that it'll be harmed. They said it might be harmed. And so all these orchards had to dry up and they're not allowed to water them anymore, so they're going to die off because they can't do this. And so people are losing their livelihood. People are losing their businesses in California. That's uh, around the San Francisco area, uh, just north northwest of it, somewhere in there. And they can't uh, water them. So these very old orchards that have been people's families for years and years and years, uh, they're, gonna, they're dying off little by little. They have no way to water them. Now, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's not a thing that we're supposed to be doing. You, you, you be careful about animals. But the Word of God tells us that we have, we have dominion. This is our place. And we're not here to, well, that's something such might, ha- might be harmed or this might happen over here or this might go over here and so forth. You know, environmentalists, I don't much care for them. I don't much like them. Have you ever heard about the blackout went on? I think it was India. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's over in India. Yes. You know what caused that? They bought into this stuff of coal and they've been shutting down some coal-fired uh, plants to produce energy and they now no longer have enough, um, they're not manufacturing enough energy to supply. And so from what I'm told, about a tenth of the world's population went without electricity. A tenth of the world's population went without any electricity because of environmentalists. Now they're doing the same thing over here. President Obama has said that his goal is to put coal out of business. From what I understand, two coal companies in Pennsylvania have uh, had substantial layoffs or have closed. I forget exactly which it was. That's just in Pennsylvania. You got West Virginia. It was his goal. Now, if you put, if you put coal out of business, what happens to your electric rate? Oh, boy, is it going to go high. Because these folks that had the windmills, they, they, without government help, and, you know, this, that's your help. They're taking money out of your pocket to put into the windmills, and the windmills don't produce energy very well. If the wind is below a certain, air, uh, certain um, miles per hour, they don't work. If it's over a certain miles per hour, it doesn't work. They also kill a whole lot of birds, and they don't care what kind. They can kill the endangered ones. They can kill the non-endangered ones. They kill a whole lot of birds. People around them don't like the noise. There's a terrible noise, apparently, that's associated with it. And uh, a lot of the places, they're actually closed down. I think um, a couple of mountain areas, they had them closed down, and they're just sitting there. They couldn't afford to keep them going. So the, this whole thing with the green energy, uh, oil is very green. It is produced right here in the good old earth. Coal is produced right here, and it's cleaner than anyone is letting you know. And there's nothing wrong with keeping it going. If we find something that's better, glory to God. Use it. But you know what? We're not close to finding anything that's better. But we've got politicians who want to just do this, which means power becomes more expensive, which means people who are doing coal mining jobs, those jobs are gone. People that are drilling for oil, those jobs are gone. And that's not a thing that you need to be, be doing. We're doing a whole lot of things in the guise of environmentalists or protecting animals. 
And uh, that's not right. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. But also, you shouldn't go out there and tie tails together with foxes. Even if they were cats, I wouldn't like this story. No, I, contrary to public opinion, I don't hate cats. I just, I'm not fond of them. That's all. That's fine a day around. My neighbors have a couple. If I go over and sit there and watch a game, one of them always climbs up in my lap. It's all right. You can come over here and visit. Just I'm not taking you home. <laughs> That's all there is to it. But yeah, don't go out here. And God's not telling us to abuse these folks and abuse these animals. But still, anointing God came on them. I, I'm sure it has to be the anointing God. How do you catch 300 foxes and get them all to tie their tails together and manage them all thing? And I don't know how you do that. But he did it here. This was not the right response. This is not the kind of thing that we should be doing. We should not be taking revenge out of spite. Especially using the anointing of God on our lives in order to do it. So we get up to verse 6. Then the Philistine said, Who has done this? <laughs> and they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her, fire, her father with fire. Well, that seems like a reasonable response, doesn't it? You brought fire in our crops, we're going to burn you up. Oh, my. Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, Samson was even appalled of this. They'd come up and do it. I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them, hip and thigh, with a great slaughter. He went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etham. So he went out there, and he... Uh, how many are killed here? Don't exactly know, but he... Uh, did a number of them because it said there was a great slaughter here. Now, again, he, he's not doing it because he wants to deliver the people, the people of God. He is doing it, though. At least we have a little bit of a step up here. There was an injustice that was done. So at least that's something that's good. At least we're, we're combating injustices. Of course, if there's an injustice that goes on, I don't know that this is the best response. Going out there and just beating on people and killing them. But we are talking about Philistines. And with Philistines, what was their judgment by God? They all need to go. They are, ter they are terrible idolaters. A lot of these nations were crucifying their, their kids. You see, a lot of these, the Canaanite nations, understand this about the, Can the nations that were in the land of Canaan were horrible idolatrous worships. A lot of their worship was very sensual. And a lot of their temples had a lot of the... Uh, uh, nasty stuff going on. And out of that, a lot of babies were born. Babies that were not wanted. They didn't do abortions. You know what they did? They would sacrifice the unwanted babies to the, uh, to the gods that they had. Now, Israel picked up on this, and instead of Israel sacrificing the unwanted babies, they sacrificed the babies they wanted. And that's why God said, get them out. Wipe them all out. Kill them. They have, I gave them 400 years to repent and they didn't do it. Now, wipe them out. So when you see this and say, why is God being so mean? Why is God being so harsh? This is why, because this is the kind of stuff to bring it in. We should not be having this kind of stuff go on. You know, there are people in this country that are bringing horrible things in there. They're bringing in the worship of the Creator or creation instead of the Creator. We give more honor and reverence to a little flea or a small little fish than we do to God. There was somebody put up on Facebook a picture of all the stuff that goes into and protect these endangered eagle's eggs. But then babies, human babies that are born, oh, you can just kill them right off. Don't matter. I mean, is that not warped? That is just, that is a very warped thing to be, be going on. But that's what we're doing. I sometimes, you know, I'll, many times I just say, Father God, I see, you see the evil that these folks are doing. I mean, some of our senators out there, the evil that they have concocted. When I bring up names like Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi and stuff like that, these are not just people that have a, a different opinion or a different view. These have been evil people who have done evil to others. And a horrible, oh, the, the stories are terrible. And yet they still continue to go on and they use their power to hurt people. And it's not right. I say sometimes, and Father God, just bring on the tribulation. Let them get exactly what they want. Let them have it all. Oh, I, when the tribulation is going on, 
I'm going to be torn because I'm going to be wanting to watch what's going on in heaven, but I'm also going to want to say, what's going on? Get some of them people out there. Some of them news people. You get some of those news people out there yet? This is what they've been wanting. This is the kind of world they've been wanting, how they're liking it. Uh, verse 9. Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against... Now this is pronounced a couple of ways. Either Lahi or, Le, or Lahe. There's sometimes uh, it's spelled with a C in there. Uh, I did my best for, uh, for Hebrew and I'm not a Hebrew scholar. This is going to be renamed in a little bit, but now the Philistines went up and camped in Judea and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson, to do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and, and said to Samson, Do you know that the Philistines rule over us? Or do you not know that the Philistines rule of us? Oh, we, we, didn't, we skipped over some verses, didn't we? Did we get our six to eight? Yep, we did. Okay, we already got those. I forgot that we already got him up there on the rock. Then the 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock and Etam said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? Do they think they're informing him? What is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me... So I have done to them. <laughs> he didn't say as they've done to the people of God. He didn't say that God wanted judgment upon them for this, that, or the other thing. He said they did this to me, so I did this to them. Why did you do that to your brother? Because he hit me first. That's exactly what it is. I mean, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Just what's going on. And they said to him, We have come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand. But we will, not, we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Now the two new ropes, two ropes is probably one for his hands and one for his feet. So he's probably bound in, in that kind of a way. But his only concern here is, Tell me that you won't kill him. Now, maybe he's thinking that the anointing on him is to kill Philistines. And it won't work on Israelites. I don't know. It's, all he says is just, uh, just don't kill me. As long as I'm alive, the anointing can come on me and I can go out there and get them Philistines when you get me into their hand. I guess that's what he's thinking. I'm not sure. But something seems to have changed here with Samson. And we're going to see this as we go on. He's up there on a rock. He's defending, supposedly, with his anointing, the people of Israel. And the people of Israel are mad at him. The people of Israel come to arrest him and to turn him over. Now, that's got to be something when you're trying to fight for certain people and they come to get you. You ever try to do something good for people and then the, they end up being the ones who come and get you? <laughs> oh, man. I remember doing that one time. I was in a church and there was a, uh, a particular person that someone who was taking a high position in the church, I was getting ready to leave, but as a, on my way out, this person was getting ready to take a high position and he had divulged to me, when I get into this position, I'm going to take this person down from his place of authority. And I knew that the person who was pastoring the church at the time would not have wanted that to happen and had no idea what was going on. So I rose up to defend this person who actually ended up being the son of the pastor who was there now. And uh, as I rose up to defend him, the guy who was one of the ones leading the pack to come after me was the one I was defending. That's all right. I left out of there. And I said, look, you all handle it any way you want to. I'm leaving. I told you I'm leaving. I'm, I'm out of here. And so you can do whatever you want to. And after I left, I, I don't know exactly what all happened to him. But I know that uh, he didn't exactly execute the, he didn't remove him the way he said he was going to remove him. And he ended up staying around. And the guy actually took over my position. And I found out a year or two down the road that the new guy coming in as pastor, who had done this to me, did exactly the same thing to him. <laughs> exactly the same thing to him. Oh, man. Because some people, that just don't stop the, the things that they're doing, right? Those kind of things repeat. If you don't, ever, if you don't try and change anything, don't try and alter something, it's going to come around and repeat. So they bound him with two new ropes. And when they came to Lahi, the Philistines came shouting against him. 
Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax, or like yarn, that is burned with fire. And his bonds broke loose from his hands. Well, if you take yarn or flax and you burn it with fire, there isn't a whole lot of strength left in it, is there? And it's not hard to, to break. And that's what it became like. Now, again, he's not a super large man, but God just comes on him and he can do things. So, again, the anointing is for the Philistines. The Philistines come in, they all start shouting, that anointing comes on them. Go get them. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Seems to like this. This seems to be a weapon of choice. <laughs> Fresh jawbone of a donkey. Now, technically, he's allowed to, to do this because under the, um, you know, the, the Nazarite vow, he is now allowed to touch a carcass. But a jawbone of a donkey, all the carcass is gone. So I've, I, it might be a technicality, but he, maybe he gets away with it for this. But at any rate, the Spirit of God came on him. He looks around, and once again, what's he find? A jawbone of a donkey. So he reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. I, I, how do you do that? I mean, we watch those James Bond movies and he takes on 10 of them. And it seems like everybody stands around while he handles one. Because if, if you're thinking about it, while he's messing with the one or two of them, you need somebody else to come up from behind and just take them out. But they don't never do that. They sit around, they wait until he beats up on the one or two that are there and then he can come over here and take on the next one or two and then he takes on the next one or two and you, know, you, know, you end up getting it done. Unless you're that, who's that, uh, uh, that Oriental guy? Um, Jackie, uh, the, the guy who's in the, I mean, he's, he's a sweet guy. He's a, he's a nice guy. He's, I don't know. What, is that what his name is? He just, uh, just I mean, he, he takes on all of them at the same time. <laughs> it's well choreographed. I've seen some of the aftertakes, you know, they show all the choreographing, some of the slip-ups that he does <laughs> and stuff like that. But at least in that one, he's taking on all of them at the same time. It's not like he's just taking on one or two. Oh, well, they're fun to watch, aren't they? But anyway, he's, he wipes out a thousand guys. Now, it's not like they're all spread out over a large area. These were all here congregating to get Samson. And he still goes out and takes them all out. A thousand of them. I'm sure a bunch of them ran off once they saw the slaughter that was going on. He said, man, I'll, I'm going to get this. But boy, to see Samson in action, it had to be something spectacular. Because they're... They all have weapons. Samson doesn't. Except he grabs a jawbone of a donkey. Goes out there and he takes on these guys that have weapons. And he wipes them out. A thousand of them. And they can't touch them. That is such an anointing that comes on this guy. But again, it's an anointing to kill. In the Old Testament, the anointing came on a number of people for the purpose... Taking people out. Came on Saul. Came on David. Came on Samson. Came on Joshua. It came on David's 300 men. In varying degrees of anointing. And uh, the, the three had the highest. And then there's the 30. Then there's the rest of the 300. But still, any of those 300, wow. They were something. There was an anointing of God that was on them to take out the enemies of God's people. If people were going to bend themselves to evil, God says, look, I'll give you grace, but after a bit, you're gone. I'd rather you not die. But if you're going to keep going over here and hurting uh, the people of God, well then, that's your decision. So he's got this jawbone of a donkey. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. And with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. He is not much of a rhymer or a poet or po poetry person. This is the second one that makes it in here. At least the other one rhymed a little bit better. But, you know, in Hebrew, I don't know what they are. <laughs> he, he, didn't, uh, he didn't do it in English. So I'm not sure how the other one was. But English should sure at least rhyme. This one doesn't really do much of anything. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called the place Ramath. Uh, I'm sorry. Ramath Lache. Ramath. Lahe, which means height of a jawbone. <laughs> wow, what a name. He must have thought on that for a long time. So here he's taking revenge, but this is the, the closest we have yet of Samson taking revenge on the people of God to deliver the people of God or on the, on the enemies of, of God for the people of God. This is the first time we see this. 
He's actually letting the anointing come on him to deliver Israel. He's delivering him as well. He was the one caught in there. But he's uh, taking out the, the enemies. First time that we see that. Now, Israel is under the, the thumb of the Philistines because of their own stuff that they have done and God would send along people to deliver them. In Leviticus 26, verse 14, But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and of course Israel was not obeying and was not observing all the commandments, and if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. You shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And these are things that we're seeing. And I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you those shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And after this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sin, and I will break the pride of your power. And I will make your heavens like iron, and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. So this thing has come upon Israel because of the things that they have done. And these things still come out there for the people today if we don't do these things. If we don't go after the things of God, if we despise them, then these things happen. De- Deuteronomy 15, verse 6, For the Lord your God will bless you just as He promised you, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall reign over many nations, but you shall, but they shall not reign over you. That's the call that is on them. Now, the Philistines are reigning over them because they're not following after God. But once they get into a place where they follow after God, God says, I don't want anyone to reign over you. First Samuel 8, verse 7, And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So the people of God go back and forth between doing what they should do and doing what they should not do. And there are times when God says, look, this is the way they want to go. Let them go that way. And they'll get the, the, the benefit of that, so to speak. So Samson is doing this. Now, Samson's up there on that rock. We see that the anointing came on him. And he, he's going to pray to God. And he's going to give God some, some great victory here. Or give God the uh, credit for it. Go over that verse again. Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called the place Ramath Lehe. Now keep on going here. Let's go right on down into verse 18. Then he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. We see that he gives God credit for it. It's the first time we've seen this. That he's given God credit for anything. You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. He calls himself a servant of God. Have we ever heard him call himself a servant of God? Have you ever seen him to be a servant of God? He's been a servant of Samson. He's been, not been a servant of Israel. He's been a servant of Samson. But now we have this great prayer. You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lahi, and the water came out and he drank, and his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore he called its name and Hakor, which is in Lahi to this day. And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So look at this. He became very thirsty. Well, I guess if you killed a thousand people, you might be thirsty. You know, we look at some of those basketball players. They score 30 points. They get thirsty. He killed a thousand people. And he got thirsty. You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? Look at what he's saying in here. This is the, it seems that he's finally realizing who he is. That I am a servant of God. I am a child of God. Shall I a child of God, become victim to these uncircumcised? What does David say about Goliath? Are we gonna, am I going to become a, a victim of this uncircumcised Philistine? He's defied the armies of God. 
he's dead. And it almost seems like Samson is picking up a little bit of that. I'm a child of God. I'm a servant of God. God has used me and brought about this great victory. Shall I become thirsty and die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? How many times are we to be looking at this kind of thing? That I am a child of God. Shall I fall victim to sickness and disease? I am a child of God. Shall I fall victim to depression? I am a child of God. Shall I fall victim to poverty and lack? No. We need to realize we've got to stand up to some of these things that are coming against us simply because I'm a child of God. Samson got a hold of this just a little bit. You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? Now, maybe he's, you know, maybe there's a little bit of the old Israel attitude in here in that we're going to die. But maybe it is that, look, you just brought about this great victory. I'm not going to fall to this. So where's the deliverance? Because God just all of a sudden, he just, God just split the hollow place that is in Lehi and water came out and he drank and his spirit returned. He revived. Can you imagine that? Now, the anointing has come on Samson for power, for strength, for delivering the Israelites, for killing Philistines. But now he's seeing the power of God at work on something else. It's real easy for us to get used to the power of God that works around us. Pastor Bob used to always tell us when we were down there at Grace, he says, because you know, down in Tulsa, there's a thousand churches out there. And it's not like there's only one or two with the life of God in them. They're all over. And they got the life of God in them all over the place. I mean, it's uh, which block do you want to go to? Because you got churches on this block and churches on this block. And my parents, when they came out to graduation, they said, this is the first city we've ever been in where the churches outnumber the bars. <laughs> oh, and they did too. You'd be hard-pressed to find a bar. But, uh, but especially when I was going out there, it was not legal to serve alcohol in a restaurant in the city of Tulsa. Now, people did it. But they could be busted, just like the 20s, you know, when they had the, had the prohibition. And they would sometimes have raids in a restaurant. And uh, if you were serving alcohol, you, you got raided, and they'd come in, and they'd confiscate everything, and <laughs> they could do it. I told you the people I went to one restaurant with, and they had a card. They had a special card. They, were, they worked over at the restaurant. They were heathens. We were working on them. They fortunately got born again and uh, later on, but... At that time, you know, we just met them and out there at the restaurant, they got the little card that says they can order alcoholic beverage. And so he shows them the card and he goes back there and he gets them that and he turned to me and he says, the church rules this town. I said, glory to God, this is all right. The heathen know that the church rules this town. That's all right, but there are churches all over. Big churches, medium-sized churches, little churches, all doing great things. No matter what night of the week, someone had a meeting going on. Someone had something going on. You didn't have to go over to the movie theaters all the time or go to the mall and walk around. Well, I wonder what they're doing over here at this church. You head on down to this church, good meetings going on too. Good speakers coming in, good things happening. You can go all over the place. There was a, but you can get so used to it that uh, you just think that's how it is all over the place. And, uh, and it's, I'll tell you what, it's real easy to begin to think that that's how it's going on all over the place. When we would go over to Raymond and we would have special meetings, people would line up after the first meeting was over, to get back into the building for the next meeting. Now, understand, the first meeting of the day ended somewhere around 1 o'clock. The next meeting, the doors didn't open until 6. But they would, they'd come in there with their chairs, and they'd sit out there with their chairs, and they'd have people that would go out, and they would get them lunch, and they'd bring lunch on back, and they'd sit there for five hours until the doors would open so they could get down to the front row just to get in for the, for the meeting. Now, the meeting started at 7. Now, generally, when we were going down there to these meetings, you had to get in line by 5 to 5.30 if you wanted to get a seat around the middle. If you didn't get there until the doors opened at 6, you're probably in the balcony. And if you didn't get there until 6.30, you were in the overflow rooms. There's no doubt about you're in the overflow rooms. Don't even go into the main hall. Main hall's full. A lot of times the main hall was already full. There's stampedes. They would stampede in the doors to get into the meeting an hour early. 
and sit there for an hour to wait for the meeting to go. And then the meeting would go on, you know, when Brother Hagin was younger, the meeting would go on until 11. As he got older, the meetings got shorter. <laughs> and sometimes 9.30 we'd be getting out. But those folks, they'd stay right in there. 11 o'clock, 11.30, they weren't wanting to go anywhere. No one was, uh, oh, let's get out of here. Oh, it's enough meeting. Nope. They stayed. And you just get the idea that that's how it is all over the place. You know, after I'd been in there for a couple of years, came on back here, worked in a church, found out people showed up late for meetings. Some people didn't even show up at all. <laughs> it was very different. And so you can kind of get used to the thing that what goes on around me is just what happens. But that's not always the case. That's not always what's, what's going on. You know, I, I, I thank God all the time for the things we have here in the, in the church we got. We've got a, a great atmosphere. I have people sometimes that visit and they come in. Every time they come in, they say, oh, you guys are so blessed. You have this, your folks are this way, and the people are so friendly, and they're so loving after God, and they love the Word of God, and they live the Word of God, and it's just not like that other places. And I say, yeah, I know it. <laughs> I know it. It's a good group. It's a good thing. Don't ever take it for granted. Sometimes we can get so much into the thing that, well, how it is is just the way how it always is and how it always will be. Don't, don't take it that way. He is used to the power of God working on him in this area of strength. And now all of a sudden he's seeing something different. This is a miracle that takes place apart from him. He asked for something to happen. And now all we know is that God split a hollow place and water came out. And he just drank. Spirit returned and he revived. Named the place and went on. And it says he judged Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistine. Now, we don't know how much of those 20 years has already gone by of all the things that we've already read about. But from here, we're not going to hear anything more until we get to his demise. This is pretty much it. So what he needed here was outside of his anointing. There are times that we're going to need something that's outside of our anointing. His anointing was for strength. His anointing was for deliverance, but not for bringing water out of hollow places. Or like Moses bringing water out of a rock. Or Moses, you know, he had, Moses had a water anointing. I mean, he can make water come out of rocks. He can make water split. That's just a, he had a water anointing on him. Among a few other things too. He just had that, that thing going on. And that's, that's something that was in his, his, his area. But sometimes you need something that's outside of it. And a lot of times what we want to do is, well, God, you need to make, increase my anointing so that I can do that. No, God has put that anointing in the body of Christ. Go out there and find somebody who's got that anointing that you need and get it done. God wants us to depend on each other. Sometimes we just want to be, no, I just need to become better or greater or something else. and nah, Just get out there and sometimes you just need to say, you know, I need uh, that anointing that's on you. I need that right now. Help me out with this. Just draw off of that. Now, Samson, as we see from all this, he does not serve the Lord with a clean heart. He is very selfish. He is very much about Samson. He is very much about the flesh. He's into foreign idol-worshipping girls and uh, not really serving God. That's not really his forte. But when you serve God with a clean heart, you can experience a few things. First off, you experience joy. When you serve God with a clean heart, you experience joy. There's joy that goes on on the inside of you. You experience refreshment. When you serve God with a clean heart, when you, sure, there's a, there's a part that wears you out as you're underneath, underneath that anointing, but you get refreshed. You in, have an increasing anointing. You'll see that that anointing continues to increase because you are clean before God and you keep pressing into that anointing more and more and more. Brother Hagin used to tell us that when he was uh, finished pastoring and he went on into the road and God, remember the story, God told him, you are about to enter into the first phase of your ministry. And he says, dear Lord, what have I been doing up till now? Because he had already pastored for something like 10 years or something, something like that and I forget what he had done before all that. But God says, you're getting ready to enter into the first phase of your ministry. And then he said after that, he says, many live and die and never enter into the first phase of their ministry. There's an increasing aspect of the ministry that you're into. And just because you are ministering doesn't mean that you have hit even the first phase of your ministry. 
The first area that God wanted you to get into. Doesn't mean you haven't. It's for God to tell you about what all that is. But there should be an increasing anointing. Whatever that is that you walk in, that anointing should continue to increase if you're serving God with a clean heart. And then there's the communion with God. Your communion with God should increase as well. You're going to see an increase in the anointing and in your own relationship, your own fellowship with God. That's going to get stronger. That's going to get better because you have served Him with a clean heart. But if you're going to be like Samson and if you're going to serve God and you're not, you don't have a clean heart, you don't try and clean up things, God shows you stuff because you don't know. We're, God will use imperfect people. But along the line, He shows imperfect people work on that one. Fix this thing over here. And as we do that, we have a clean heart before Him. I may not be perfect, but I can have a clean heart before Him because when He says, Steve, work on that, I work on it. I take care of that thing. But when you're not going to do that, when you serve God in sin, you experience none of the above. All goes away. <laughs> there's no joy. There's no refreshment. You get wore out. There's no increasing anointing. You hit that level that you're at. You just kind of stagnate there. You don't go any better. Samson has not gotten any better in his anointing. It stayed right where it is. And there's no communion with God. You're not growing in your understanding, your knowledge of God. So if you serve God in sin, you're going to join Samson and you're going to have this going on. None of the above, but add these things in there. Guilt. You're going to have guilt between outpourings. You're going to have the outpouring of God's anointing and the power of God moves and things happen and then afterwards you're going to feel guilty. You have guilt that will come on there. Uh, no growth. Won't be any growth at all. You're just going to stay in the same spot, same way, nothing changing, no increase. There's going to be uncertainty. I always wonder, well, I wonder if I should do this. Well, I wonder if this is going on. Well, you know, always uncertainty. You look at the people that were in their anointing, had a clean heart, were moving on. They didn't have uncertainty. Did David have uncertainty? David knew where he was going, knew what he needed to do. Did uh, Samuel have uncertainty? No. Samuel was very sure about what things... In fact, he was shocked when something happened that he didn't know about ahead of time. <laughs> There's less uncertainty. Was Jesus ever surprised by what happened in the, in the city when he came into it? No. These kind of things are, aren't going on. And the last... Suspicion. You're always going to be wondering, does this person know about me? Does this person know what's going on in my life? You're always wondering about that. And when you have that suspicion and you operate that way, then you begin to have a bit of a defensiveness about people and uh, keeping people at a distance to make sure they can't find out about you. And that's not, not good. That's not how we want to be. We want to get into a place where we're following after God with a clean heart. And the anointing of God continues to increase and we keep getting to know Him better and better and more and more. That's just how God wants it to be. No one's certain in our life. Now we got joy. we got refreshment. Yeah, you can get wore out in some things in ministry, but God's just going to continue to refresh you. He's going to continue to build you up, keep you going. Samson didn't get to experience all that. we got one more chapter to go here with Samson and his, his downfall. And it's unfortunate. It didn't need to be that way. Now, 20 years went by. We don't know exactly how much. It could be five years that have gone by so far. It may be that there was 10 years that went by. Maybe there was one or two years. But we know that he judged them for 20 years. And at the end, we're going to jump into that uh, pretty soon. So we don't know. Maybe there's a whole lot of years where nothing happened. Where he didn't really move into the anointing. The Philistines kind of left the area alone. Samson's over there. If we get too close, he'll kill us. That, that could be. Samson had a little bit of a change on that rock. He started giving God some, some uh, credit. He started seeing himself as a servant of God. Maybe that impacted him. But we don't see anything good, but also nothing bad seemed to happen. Didn't seem like he went over there and married any other Philistine woman, at least for a while. You know, they, but maybe they did go on and we're just not recorded about it. We don't, can't really tell you. Can't say that nothing bad happened. Can't say that nothing good happened. We're, we just say that it's not been recorded. It wasn't worthwhile enough to record it. So he uh, judges Israel for 20 years. Now a judge in Israel was supposed to do what? purpose of a judge was to hear from God and bring, bring the message to the people so the people could respond to the message, do what God said, and uh, that's how the theocracy was supposed to work. The judge was supposed to hear from God. So you got Samson hearing from God. How good is that? Oh, I, I do not think this is a good picture. 
this is not a good way for this thing to go. That's his purpose. Serve God for, or serve the people for 20 years. How much of God do you think he heard? To tell people. And if, the, if he came to the people and said, God says this, what do you think they're saying? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, they probably wouldn't have uh, necessarily believed it all that much anyway. But anyway, we're told that he did it for 20 years. Don't know how much of the Philistines they were able to shake off. But nothing is much, much told until the very famous seductress comes into his life. Yes, Delilah is on the, on the horizon. So we'll have some, some stuff with that. Father God, we thank you for the help that you give us in our life, that you have put an anointing on our life that we can press into and cause to increase. And as we serve you with a clean heart, not a perfect heart, not one that says we don't do any, anything wrong at all, but a clean heart, one that responds. And when you say, clean that up, fix that over there, we listen. And we get over there and we clean that up and we fix it. When we miss it, we get right before you. Father God, I missed it. We serve God with a clean heart. When we do that, joy is in our service. Times are refreshing. Or that we feel refreshed from you. We see an increase in anointing and we see an increase in our understanding of you. Our communion with the Father increases. These are signs that we're doing okay. Father, I thank you that you show us these things. If we're having the things that follow after a life of Samson where there's guilt, where there's no increase, no greater understanding of the Father, and these kind of things are going on, it's a sign to us. We don't have a clean heart. Get a clean heart. And get going. Father, I thank you for the areas of anointing that you have given us. But we also need to recognize the anointing that's on other people and not reject it and not turn it aside. Thank you for the help that you give us in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. One more thing to notice is that when you are receiving, when you have an area that you are anointed in and God works in that anointing area, but you have a need in another, another spot, be careful. Do not reject the anointing of God in another package. You need to be able to separate what is anointing and what is the package. Sometimes people don't always do that. And they see a package, they don't like the package. They don't like how that gift is in that person. They don't like the things they say. They don't like the things things do. They don't like how they are. And they reject the anointing that is on the person that God gave. The anointing is a gift from God. The package is very human. If you reject the gift, what are you saying to God? You can't do that. If you, if you do that, there will be a price to pay. And I, I don't want to pay that price. So I just make sure, all right, if I need that anointing, we'll go ahead and take that anointing. And uh, so what if it isn't from, you know, maybe I don't like the way that person says things or does things or whatever it might be. Nah, we don't want to do that. Make sure you don't reject the anointing because of the package. Because when you need something that's outside yourself, like Samson did here, God will come through. Now, there was no one around there that could help Samson out, so God just showed up and did it. But uh, generally, we have places that we can go. We have people that we can tap into to get that sort of thing. Any comments, questions? Anything to add?